This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. They survived on the very final day. I imagine you're delighted, but how were the nerves last Sunday? The nerves were the worst I've ever known them. I mean, my children looked at me in horror as I was jumping off the, off the sofa, screaming my head off. Um, it's very good news that as presently I feel I can hide away in some of these moments that I'm not visibly seen because, uh, yeah, it was one of the most stressful moments of my life, as I imagine every Villa fan felt on that day. Usually every time he finished a song, he'd get on a payphone wherever he was in the country and call me and wake me up. And so, like, he'd lay the phone down and start playing his guitar, you know? And that's how I heard this song the first time. I always thought this was a real pretty one. It's called uh, My Old Man. Turn again by Davis. It's John McGinn finding Grealish. Grealish! Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, your vaccine to the pandemic of transfer clickbait. Joining me for a bonus episode, which uh, you can bolt on to episode 111, Mr. Phil Shaw returns. Welcome back. Hello. And Mr. Chris Bird, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you very much. You good? All good, all good here. I mean, we only just put out uh, the last show but uh, Phil was dying to be on the show. We thought we'd go through uh, the transfer rumours and just give them uh, a jolt of reality. Before we get into it, though, uh, we're recording this after Bayern Munich absolutely uh, blitzed Barcelona. Laughably so. Which uh, Chris was watching, I wasn't watching it. Yeah, it was pretty... uh quite sad actually to see how the mighty have fallen but the the germans do that they they're very good at in a football context obliterating and really putting the knife through teams like you know the germany brazil game in brazil's back garden 7-1 and then they just dismantle the likes of uh well german teams per se have dismantled the likes of arsenal chelsea spurs in uh, recent champions league tournaments as well they they don't just they don't do the three nils they they get into they almost get into double figures don't they i think i just they just demoralize you don't they i mean the fact that barca concede i think it was like three in the last 
four or five minutes was just they just were mentally they keep on done. going it's like yeah, that, yeah. that Muller that Muller just loves crushing people into the dirt doesn't yeah. he yeah I think I was, saying, I was saying to you as we were warming up that this is this is the DNA that Villa need to instill into their uh, Villa engine yeah, well, you want, you want to be like 5-0 up with about 10 minutes to go, and then you bring on another two strikers. Yeah, no, exactly. This is the uh, this is the DNA I want in my team that just ruthlessly destroys teams. Takes apart the old, considered, decorated glory teams. After a couple of years, once we get this uh, DNA instilled into this team, we start beating Liverpool 9-1. And, and Man, you won't be coming to Villa Park and winning again for 20 years <laughs> or something. Ever again in yeah. my lifetime, anyway. Yeah, Van Dijk will be tweeting a picture of his little a sports car in his pocket on the way home <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway here we are dreaming hopefully uh, Villa's this transfer window will be the first step to uh, such greatness uh, we'll just I mean this is a more of a relaxed show if you want a proper show please do listen to uh, episode 111 this is more like something for the weekend the main uh, transfer talk is uh, we, we've kind of discussed Ali Watkins and uh, Ben Rama the two uh, Brentford boys. Phil Phil loves to uh, dabble in the uh, the Twitter verse, and he's uh, picked up the latest little snippet of info that uh, suggests Watkins is on his way. Yes, um, looks to be that he's following and being followed by the the Villa fitness coach, which. If we remember back to last summer was how Douglas Louise sort of news became broke of him at the time when he was stuck over in Brazil waiting a work permit. So it's it's uh, it's, it's literally just rubber stamping the deal, isn't it? Such uh, Twitter shenanigans. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's that's sort of the, the pastime of it. I mean, you, you troll through rubbish pictures of players getting on the airplanes and things like that until you find someone that's actually found a bit of useful information. So <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's like a treasure map. <laughs> You you are literally one of the uh, the Twitterati, aren't you? The Villa Twitterati. <laughs> I'm I'm a long way from Villa Twitterati. A long way. <laughs> Good. Uh, so yeah, we did discuss the Brentford pair really in terms of uh, our thoughts and you know why Villa should be uh, cautious uh, per se. Uh, another main one which is kind of caught a bit of fire, which is which is all about the Villa Twitterati. I mean, they're pouring the petrol on the fire at the moment. Is uh, Milo uh, Rashika? Yeah, he's the the Werder Bremen attacking midfielder. He can play probably all the way across from either wing or number ten. Because Dean Smith was interested in him in January, and there was a chance that his, he would have a low release clause if Werder Bremen got relegated, um, it seems to have surfaced again. The thing was, though, uh, Werder Bremen did pretty much what Villa did, and uh, I mean, in Germany, you the third team from bottom goes into a uh, relegation playoff with the team obviously that's trying to get promoted and uh, I think they drew two all in the second leg of the relegation and that kind of uh, saved their asses I mean they fell from grace because Werder Bremen were were kind of all right a a season or two ago so they escaped by the skin of the teeth so there's uh, he knows he's got the perfect mindset for Villa escaping relegation by the skin of the teeth so he uh, he'll fit straight in I mean some of the 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 pricing has been wild on this somebody quoted like 35 million is that true yeah you get the people have been stalking Werder Bremen forums and using Google Translate to work out the German and the, apparently Werder Bremen value him at about 18 until teams like Villa come along and they say oh I'm 33 yeah good good deal yeah <laughs> 
we're not we're not paying over 30 for him that's that's a guarantee you don't pay that kind of money for a winger when you're Villa uh, not right now you're breaking your record on like Wesley because he's a centre forward uh, last season and you know the similar before that with Darren Bent another one that was kind of intriguing because this is this it's almost uh, harks back to uh, the early 90s when Liverpool were in a bit of a transition but they when Graham Sooners was in charge they actually had decent players but he seemed happy to ship them out and luckily uh, shipped out uh, a few of them to us. Ray Houghton, Steve Staunton, uh, Dean Saunders. So there's been talk of, uh, well, discussion about uh, Origi coming and you know, he's basically Liverpool's... Uh bench striker who comes off and uh, but he's, you know, he scored in uh, the Champions League semi and final didn't he yeah he scores big goals for them Liverpool need a squad because they're fighting on so many fronts that uh, I would be surprised if they let let him go because they know he turn he, he can come off the bench and turn you know turn up in the big games which is a mentality that uh, at that level that you really need you need proven performers and I'm just thinking in the past uh, what's his name David I mean, I'm stretching my memory back here. The ginger guy, the Liverpool, I think it's David Fairclough. Their super sub. Who was known as their super sub, yeah. And um, when you've got that, somebody who's quite happy, well, he's not happy, obviously, to sit on the bench. But rather than sulking, he'll come on, you know, eight minutes to go or, you know, whatever, 15, 20. But when he's on, he's, you know, he's a threat and he's deadly. And he and he does a job for you. He doesn't sulk around wanting to be starting. He just does the job that uh, he's there for. So I don't know. I don't think they'd let him go. I mean, it, it would also be up to the player because he's got chance to pick up a few more uh, pieces of silverware and just this. Oh well, I'll be starting a game. Is that enough, really? Because I think his his life's pretty good as it is. Well, he, well, he gets he gets the he gets the challenge for things where he is, and I think. He'd probably, if I was him, I'd stay put just for now because you think there's no way that Firmino, Sana and Mane are all going to stay fit all the time. Yeah. So you are going to feature. You might not be the main man. It's, it's probably it's quite similar to someone like Abraham at Chelsea. You know, you're not the main man, but you are going to get game time because you're challenging on so many fronts. He's not the main man, but he's but he's scoring in the biggest games possible. Yeah. So uh, that's quite a good wicket to be on, I think. Yeah, man. And I think he knows he can grow into the team. Less effort, all the glory. It's it's kind of perfect. So I can't see him. I can't see him coming. And to be honest with you, I even think with someone like him, with what he's done in the game, he could probably go abroad and go and be the the main man at a much better team than Villa. Yeah, well, better team at this point in time for yeah. sure. Flicking on to, I mean, this is this is a player I actually like. When when I've seen him in the flesh, I've always I've he's always played well. Uh, when I've seen him in the flesh, uh, Callum Wilson. There was talk of uh, make weight of Scott Hogan going in the opposite direction. Obviously, Scott Hogan, uh, despite being in limbo at Villa, did. Uh, let's say, restore some kind of uh, currency to his himself by what he did at the Blues. I mean, his, his record there was pretty decent. Uh, the mix, mixed opinions on uh, Callum Wilson, I mean, what, what do you guys think? But, I mean, obviously it's not a straight swap. Callum Wilson is the type of player that you wouldn't be surprised if he stayed with Bournemouth and uh, just, you know, played out in the Championship. But also you wouldn't be surprised if he did bag a Premier League move. He's one who I not necessarily sit on the fence on, but I can see the pros and the cons. He's, I think he's one of those players where my view would be, if you can get him on the cheap, have him as part of your arsenal, but you're not bringing him in to be the main man, I don't think. Well, I mean, Callum Wilson, he's another of those players that you don't want them playing against you. I mean, I'll go back to what I said about Rodriguez. We, we hate him, but when you see him yeah. playing against you, you just go, 
yeah, I don't don't want the ball going anywhere near him because there's a good chance yeah. it's going in. It Wilson's got that sort of in his makeup. It's just yeah. So I mean, obviously he's an upgrade on Hogan and he's an upgrade on Samara, I would say as well. But you know, he's he's at that he's at that age where you're thinking it's it's not going to be attractive to Perslow yeah, if, if no, he's the one exactly. if he's the one dishing out the checks. Not for big money. If you can get him on the cheap, I think fair enough. Go for it. But we have been in a position where we've you know we've put out big cash for strikers that have kind of malfunctioned to uh, for want of a better word. But if Smith wants him and uh, Wilson's up for it, then to have him on the bench, he's certainly upgrading the bench at least in terms of striker options because uh, I don't think he's going to be playing 38 games for Villa, but you might get a couple of seasons out of him. No, I agree. I think he's that kind of player potentially where you could actually look at your bench and go, actually, he can come off and he can make something happen if you need to chase a game. Yeah. Then there's the Norwich pair, Bandia and uh, Todd Cantwell, which uh, I don't know. Is this is this uh, Gavin McCann and Tommy Sorison where you where you pick the pick the best players from uh, a relegated team like Desperate Vultures? Yeah, I'm I'm un- I'm unsure with that with those those two. To be honest, I think if you if we keep what we've got, you're you're bringing those guys in, and realistically, they're probably not better than what we've got. So you, they are just potentially quite expensive squad filler. Yeah, because I I think yeah, obviously if, if, as long as Grealish is still here at the start of the season, he's not going to play over Jack, is he? And it's like, well, you probably Who? wouldn't. Todd. Uh, yeah, Todd Cantwell. Yeah, and it's like, well, you're really looking for where Villa aspire to be, and I think this is going to be the theme with a lot of people who we're rumoured with, for where Villa want to be, you need to be doing better than these guys. Yeah. Now, every now and then a relegated team goes down and it's unfortunate and you you get a player that was in that side. A bit like if we'd gone down, there'd, there'd have been a few players who could go on to do better things. But, you know, the, the Norwich lads, kind of, yeah, they, you know, they had a very good season in the Championship, but they were a very much a unit. They came into the Premier League and no one really cut it. Like Cantwell's stats, they don't blow you away. They're, they're all right. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's putting some good performances. I think he's technically a very gifted player. Buendia's kind of yeah. tidy as well, but they're not what you'd call a, they're not, they're not a banker either, really. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just uh, filler. And, I think, I think. and yet again, I think if you know if they're going to cost you a lot of money, what's the point? Yeah, you'd rather do a, actually do a bit of work scouting wise, and uh, you know dig up somebody like a McGinn for that kind of price. Yeah, just rather, be savvy rather than dropping uh, you know double figure millions on people that have you've actually seen across a you know good period of game in the Premier League, and actually, well, actually they've just got relegated uh, in their team. So it's like, mm, yeah, I tend to agree. Phil, are you into uh, Norwich rejects? Um, I just think if Jack goes, I think they're both coming in. I just think that's that's the mentality. They're two two for, to replace one player. I think they're not what we need. We need somebody to put the ball in the net. We don't need somebody to you know create these chances anymore. We need a bit of ruthlessness up front, and that should be the the priority. Not not more creators because if we go through all the stats that we've been bombarded with since the end of the season, Grealish created more chances probably than anybody in the world. Do you hear that, Chris? Do you hear that, Chris? Phil, I think he still thinks Grealish is going to go. Oh, you can you can hear the tremor in his in his in his breath. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Jamie O'Hara is pleased to hear that someone agrees with him. <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, uh, we everybody talks about Grealish. We we said our piece uh, earlier on. I mean, I wrote something where I set out my stall in terms of why uh, it doesn't make sense that he would leave at this point in time. I think we'll find out probably next week uh, because he just got back from his holiday, and that's when you move. But just doesn't seem logical that he would go. Uh, but you know, the Manchester United links when the, as soon as they start to uh, or they run out of potential angles to. Uh, 
bring out the daily Jack to United story. They start talking about Arsenal. You, then they start talking about Spurs. And as Spurs, uh, people forget Spurs built a new stadium. Now look at what happened to Arsenal when they built the Emirates. They took their foot off the gas in terms of uh, you know splashing the cash for a good few seasons. And uh, I mean, they took a different approach, didn't they? they that's when Wenger started getting uh, stick because that rabid fan base wanted big signings. And, you know, obviously they, they had run a business there. And I suppose I've just pumped, uh, I think it's, it was eight, 850 million. You know, they have to pay that back. They didn't want to build a stadium that just gets used twice every month. They had all kinds of plans for, you know, they had the NFL contract. They've, it's going to be a major event. You know, there was t- talk of Anthony Joshua fighting there. And all these revenue streams have just suddenly disappeared. So that when they did their maths, how do they pay back the stadium? Obviously, it's got to pay for itself. So they had all this kind of extra outside of football uh, potential uses for it. They've all gone. So what's Daniel Levy going to suddenly do? Is he going to start saying, oh, well, we tried to get Grealish before, but we don't think he's worth that much. We tried to, you know, lowball them a couple of seasons ago. That didn't work. So what's he going to do? Well, yeah, f- let's forget about the stadium. I'll, I'm just going to spend four or five times the amount of what I would originally have paid for Grealish and get Grealish in. There's no way they're going to... Nah go silly money while that stadium's uh, needing to be repaid not when they're taking was it 160 odd million in government aid to help them pay for it at the moment as well yeah i mean you know these people who put out these stupid articles that are only made so people click on them so you know they get whatever ad revenue they're scratching around for it just proves either the the writer is a, a dumbass and they just don't think about uh, the context of the deal, or they're just insulting their readers and they're doing it on purpose. They're just baiting them in. Grealish to Arsenal as well. I mean, Arsenal are laying off staff. William, they got in and they're paying him a silly wage, but, you know, there's no transfer fee there. So they're not putting a big, uh, you know, wedge of cash up front. So you can see how that kind of, uh, you know, transfer, it's a bit like the Petacek deal, isn't it? Where they get somebody who's pretty much done his, run his course, really. Because, and, you know, their heart's with Chelsea if, if it's with any London team. I mean, I like William. I think he's a good player. But they'll probably get a good season out of him and then we'll see a bit then further down bored, the line. Yeah, he'll probably get bored. So, uh, so, so, yes, Phil, I think I'm not convinced with this, the Grealish thing uh, at all. And uh, that's just because I don't think it's logical at this point. And in, in this economic climate and, uh, you know, this kind of social climate as well. I think the only thing it probably hinges on really is the Sancho deal. I think if the Sancho deal was to fall through, then there'd be a few, a, maybe a few alarm bells at Villa Park. But I think while Sancho is... Their priority signing, I think he's the he's the guy they want. Yeah, I don't think the alarm bells will necessarily be at Villa Park. They'll be more with the supporters, I would say. Yeah. As I said previously, if, if Ferguson was in charge, if he was looking to pick Grealish, I think you'd wait and see what he did next season. Because if I was fit, I wouldn't be convinced to splash massive money on him at this stage. Not when you've just spent £46 million on Fernandez and he's transformed your team. Exactly. And, you know, when we watched, uh, you know, when we were watching them, uh, I think was it when they beat, did they beat Bournemouth? It was when they really kick-started and they blew st- some team away. Yeah, they stuck five past Bournemouth, didn't they? And that whole, you know, that young front three just clicked into gear and you just thought they're playing at such a pace. I can't see Grealish fitting in here because he, he you know, plays a different way and he would kind of slow it slow it down. But anyway, we'll, we will see. But at the moment, it just, just the stars aren't aligning for that move, I don't see it. No, I just, I just think that those are two players that, you know, it would be remiss of Villa not to have that sort of backup in their head if, if, if that player goes. Cause I just have this feeling in the back of my head that City are going to take him for their bench. That's where I think Grace, if he's going anywhere, I think 
if he goes anywhere, it'll be City he goes to. Just to remind our uh, listeners, because Phil hasn't been on the show for a couple of weeks, he, he's quite paranoid, this uh, Phil Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, let's move on to uh, Matty Cash at right back uh, for Forrest. He was part of that wonderful team that completely bottled it big time and slipped out of the playoffs after being in the playoffs pretty much the whole year. What are your views on him? Because I think the price is a bit silly for to be interested in. Was it around fifteen million? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not bothered. No, uh, West. I think the the rumor is West Ham recorded that, and seems to be West Ham don't have a lot of money to spend this year, like a lot of teams. Yeah, I think we're with the first. I think we've just seen the first stage of speculative pricing, and you may have noticed there hasn't been much uh, transfer activity. I mean, a lot of players are on holiday at the moment, so agents etc. put these prices out and feed them to the press, and uh, then you see what kind of feedback you get. So I think these the first wave is definitely I think we can draw the line under the first wave now and I think the prices will start to get a bit more realistic as the uh, the season draws in uh, Jamal Lewis is uh, another name linked uh, around like the 20 million mark yeah well Jamal Lewis I, I'm a big fan obviously watching him play for the national team you know but he he can't defend he, he, can, he hasn't learned how to defend yet so I can see why Liverpool wanted him to sort of like learn under Andy Robertson, sort of to learn the defensive side. But he, he used to be a sprinter, went to you know to the Commonwealth Games, and then came back to football again. So that's where it is. All his pace and he's attacking in the final third. But I think you saw in the game against Watford, he just got completely bullied for one of Watford's goals against Norwich. So he, how he old ha- is he nowadays? He's early twenties. Yeah, he's about 22, 21, 22, I think. Do you think Liverpool would uh, potentially loan him out championship style to the championship? Or no, because I, when you've got you got like a raw talent, I mean, 20 million, there's no way anybody's going to pay that, surely. You, well, especially when you've got Alexander Arnold and, and Robertson as your fullback options. It's like you aren't going to Liverpool to be the number one. He would be going there as backup, and it's just like. No, but nobody's going to buy him for 20 million, are they? Nah. No, and Liverpool quickly moved on and bought, uh, I think it was maybe a, a Greek left back or a Greek fullback to sort of yes, take the place. Yes, done this week, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's that's how the big boys do it. It's like 20 million. Nah, we'll get one at 11 here with our scouting network, our proper scouting network. Yeah, but in terms of a Villa context, uh, a right back, if you can get a player, as we said in the last podcast, uh, that can improve uh, your back line, then you get him in. As simple as that. It's debatable how much better than Gilbert or Anel Mohamedy. I, I think we're, we're actually not too badly off because I think um, Gilbert will improve in his second season and El Mohamedy, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. I think we've, if you can get a very good right back, fair enough, but it's not necessarily a priority. It's not high enough up the list of priorities to be yeah. going to spending 20 million on at the moment. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about Jamel Lewis uh, in this, but uh, like if you look at the NFL draft, for example, you go into a team goes into the draft with their needs pretty much uh, prioritised. Yeah. But when it gets to your round and your pick, and you look at who's left available, and if the best player in the draft is actually another position that's not actually on your priority list, sometimes the old uh, GM will go, where are we taking him? Because we didn't expect him to be there at this stage of the draft, but he is the best player, and he will improve the team in that position. Even though our needs are X, Y, and Z, this guy's going to upgrade us in this position. So I think in terms of our back four... That's how that will play out. I don't think we'll be hunting necessarily to improve the back four, but if something becomes available and we get a sniff of something, and that's when I think, and probably the only reason we would go in and, and get something in the you know the back four. 
I mean, per- personally, I'd rather we went and spent twenty million on a really good goalkeeper. Yeah, well, I don't know about twenty million. I don't think they'd do that. But but yeah, but just talk, sticking to the defence, uh, I think if something becomes available that actually improves the back four, that's the only remit for buying a player. So when it comes to like somebody like Jamel Lewis, is he improving right back drastically? Probably not. Not for twenty million, anyway. No, not for the money. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I'm surprised it was him that the big offer went in for because everybody was talking about Max Ahrens over in the other fullback side. He was meant to yeah. be the the big star. Yeah. Uh, moving on, the alert or the astute will notice their uh, local newspapers and you know even uh, some papers like the Mirror or whatever. Actually, they're all owned by the same people. Funny enough, coincidence. They have a draw of rumours or stories that they'll just roll out the next transfer window. They'll roll it out again because they think that this player is connected in some way to the club. You know, maybe he's born in Birmingham or that area. Uh, you know, step forward, Daniel Sturridge, who's always linked to Villa in the last few windows, and that story's resurfaced again. And, you know, it's the same answer. No way. Unless he takes one hell of a drastic cutting wages, or it, it, they structure a deal where it's you know you get paid when you play, and that's probably that's about as best as he's ever going to get. I think I'm not even going to talk about Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, exactly. I've just wasted ten, fifteen seconds of my life there. Don't waste any of yours, Phil. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Hendrick, Burnley midfielder. He's he's a free agent, is he not? He is. All kinds of bizarre clubs involved, uh, interested allegedly from uh, AC Milan to uh, the even bizarre club Aston Villa. I, is he improving you? I think for a for a giving free, you something else. It's, it's just it's a bit of squad depth. I think that's what you do if you can if you can do a deal and his wages aren't too big. You go okay, no worries. It's it's a really low risk type of deal. But you think you think of you'd you'd, you'd hope he's a weapon in some way. You know, if, if he does a job for you. In terms of being a weapon, explain to listeners how you see him as a player. Well, I would say you you bring him on when the going gets tough. He he, he has a bit of our favourite word, the shithouse about him. Yeah. He can get stuck in and... Don't we need that? We, we do need that, but it's it's when it's when we bring him on. You know, we we have the... the well, depends who we have at the start of the season. We... we didn't have a lot of it until Douglas Louise found it from somewhere, but he would improve us. But I, I don't know where you put him in our team because he is in your McGinn sort of position. I think he's just a he's your, he's your backup for McGinn. He's, he's kind of probably what they hoped someone like a drink water could be for a free. I don't necessarily think it's a bad squad move, depending on his wages. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't even. He's, he could even be one, well be one of those players you bring in and he barely kicks a ball for you. But it's numbers. You need, yeah, you need an alternate for McGinn as well because uh, we need depth ultimately. But we need depth, uh, and with when I say depth, uh, it needs to be you know a depth of quality, not just numbers. Yeah, it's a thing of like sort of trust, and you know, it's the fact that he's you know he's he's a relatively established international. He's played a lot of first team football. He's only t- he's sort of twenty eight, which means he's actually not a bad age. Been around the block a little bit in the Premier League. I think it's just a really low risk kind of deal that I, I you know if we didn't get him, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't be gutted, but if, I think if we did get him, I'd kind of be like, okay, fair enough. He's he's yeah. going to be in and around the squad. He's not going to be a starter. It would it'd probably be curtains for Henry Lansbury. <laughs> well, it's curtains for him anyway. I, I mean, that is that's an option. His haircut, isn't he, actually? I was going to say it's an option of a haircut, and that's about it, really. I was going to say at the start that I'm not bothered about transfer rumours. We sign them, and then you take it from there. But that would have meant that we wouldn't have uh, just spoken about all those players. But uh, there you go. I think this upcoming week we will see announcements. We'll no doubt tie in with the away shirt reveal. 
So I think they'll do a double reveal, I would say. It's uh, that kind of... Sometimes they like to kick off the summer, don't they, with a double, triple reveal. Especially now when, of course, the club won't have all the the, the PR sort of hype around like a pre-season tour to America or any of that. Yeah. They've lost all that momentum they would have got. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, Jermaine Jenis and Alan Hudson, that double reveal. <laughs> or the uh, the triple one where they did Draper, Southgate and uh, Savo on the same day. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that's going to happen, uh, I'd, I'd say, uh, this week, ending this week. Now the players are back in pre-season and uh, back from their holidays, etc. The ball should start rolling. And uh, probably Watkins, uh, you would imagine, wouldn't you? To Quite be one possibly. of those I mean, you'd, li- you'd like to think they'll have a resolution on the Greenish deal. I mean, that could be the, the first of what you'd class as a big sort of signing as such. That'd be a, a big statement. Yeah, but to be honest with you... Uh... From what Steve Bruce said at the time, you know, he was on a big contract anyway. And what's he getting rewarded for exactly for being a Premier League player? I don't, I don't kind of get that. It, it would have meant that the PR. I mean, as I said on the last podcast, it's in his interest to be spoken about every day. So then his agent can say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, Jack will stay, but you know, there's all this interest for him." It's if he, you know, people say, "Well, it's not about the money for Jack." Then what? What's the conversation? He should be playing for Villa because he's on a you know pretty fucking decent wage he, he shouldn't be he doesn't deserve extra money unfortunately it's the thing of just if you're going to compete with where you want to compete and, he, and he's relatively on a level with the james madison if james madison's getting paid x yeah Jack Grealish is going to need to be paid x it's, it's just market forces isn't it yeah i mean that is the problem uh it, it's a strange world i mean like madison they should have said to him well you didn't get us in the fucking champions league so uh go fuck yourself <laughs> i mean i'm really surprised at that deal because i actually thought as soon as leicester missed out i thought that would be him gone yeah but he's he's not that good. i mean those two it's almost like i mean they're mates so it's almost like that because it was 24 7 you looked on social media whatever format and there was some bullshit who's the best you know Grealish or madison some meme or some bloody graphic or something and you just think well both of them have still got a lot to bloody uh do to kind of uh, start to get into the pantheon of like top top Premier League players. I mean, call me cynical, but I don't think they're both there yet. They're not, you know, they're not doing it day in, day out. No, you bring you bring up Bruno Fernandes again. Did he outscore both of them in what, since January just? Exactly, yeah. And oh, that's like- Fernandes' stats this year, I'm sure I heard after the last United game, he was in about 46 games, he was involved in 47 goals in two teams outrageous stats well that and, and that is that's when you should be masturbating over a player on social media when they're pulling out that kind of stuff and you actually see it with your own eyes you don't need all this bullshit stats of you know let's say second tier stats like oh most key passes most chances created well that sounds great but look at you look at the league table and you see villa where villa are and you're like well that hasn't actually contributed to anything in uh, reality has it or but the, you look at fit you watch 15 minutes of uh, fernandez and you go shit he's good yes yeah, so what about the new stat that appeared this week the the pre-assist the one for yeah the birmingham yeah, fans are going nuts because jude bellingham got a pre-assist he did get an, he did get a proper assist the next game or the next the same game but nah pre assist I'm I'm out done I'm done at that yeah it's it's like there's people forget about uh, that their own eyes can actually tell you about a player that seems to be long gone because a lot of people don't actually watch uh, these players most of the time it's just uh, parroting uh, stats that are, that's just there almost like for PR purposes. Anyways, we will see. I mean, you know, for ex- I mean, on the, the Grealish thing, like if you went to the League Cup final and with a, a, let's say a German football fan, Italian football fan, they hadn't 
seen any in English football, didn't know anything. And you said to them, I support Villa, watch our 80 million guy. And then he said, which one's him? And you just said, well, just sit back and watch and you tell me at half time. He'd just look at you, get no, got no fucking idea who it was. He'd go, is that the, uh, is that that little left footed kid for the the opposition? <laughs> but you know a player when he's, you know, if Fernandez was playing that game, you'd know, oh, the shit, he's fucking good. It's yeah. like what your eyes t- kind of tell you. And I, I don't think Grealish is influencing, uh, you know, in the restart period, he didn't do it. That's, that's what I was saying. If I was Alex Ferguson, I'd want to see another season or two out of him. And, you know, it'd also give him a chance to be the boss man and really impress. And it gives you it gives you a chance to kind of build a team around the way he wants to play. And if he doesn't want to play out wide, he wants to be in the middle. You are going to have to build your team to suit that. If he's good enough, yeah. And yeah. you know, but also you know, from a United point of view, for example, if you're Alex Ferguson, you want to see him doing it at the top level, so you know that your investments, you know, going to reap rewards. It shouldn't be a punt and go, oh, can Grealish handle this? You know, blah blah. Can he really influence games like Fernandez? And you know, is it worth paying twice the amount that we paid for this guy who's actually really? fucking good and has proven it and he proved it before at international and uh, in European competition this you know this is these are the things that people kind of forget it's like madness uh, takes over well, it's, if I remember like when Ferguson bought, it was Rio Ferdinand, wasn't it? And he'd had a few years in the West Ham first team, maybe like 100 appearances or so. Then he went to Leeds and had two brilliant seasons. So Ferguson yeah. knew he was getting the real deal. He was the finished article. And his timing was always, uh, it's like Dwight York. He Got him at his absolute peak, didn't he? Could have picked him off a little bit earlier, you know, any kind of time. But he, he teams like that, it's not, okay, they, you know, they breed their own players, of course. But when they're buying, let's say... Uh, the celebrated players of uh, this, you know, teams in a in a let's say in the second or third tier of the Premier League, they want to see them do it in the Premier League, but you know, do it in a winning capacity, not just you know trying to survive relegation or whatever. They want to see them influence the whole team, so they know they're getting somebody gilt edge. And I think it's in Grealish's uh, interest to stay. And he, you know, there's this bullshit. Oh, he needs to go somewhere else for England. No, he fucking doesn't. David Platt. I keep keep naming uh, that example, but you know, banging in 20 plus goals in all competitions in two consecutive seasons from midfield and that's you know there's a player that's you know visually influencing a game and you know statistically as well because he's scoring all the fucking goals but in a big big way and he did as soon as he got in the England team exactly the same thing so we need uh, Grealish in the Villa team to actually uh, put on the show get into the England squad do what Darius Fussell did and score straight away and you know really hit the ground running he played better for England than he did for Villa Darius Fussell that was kind of a weird anomaly deadly for England wasn't he yeah. Anyway, right. Anyway, that Grealish, blah, blah, blah. We're always talking about Grealish. Everybody talks about Grealish. Just stay and play some football so we don't actually have to talk about bullshit and we can talk about what's happening on the pitch and uh, hopefully inspiring Villa back to uh, some form of greatness and uh, some self-respect rather than uh, hyping any player just for you know and, and the actual team's doing fuck all right we're just going to uh to just finish off the show just go through a few of the mad few the facebook group dedicated to the show some of their questions uh, i actually forgot about them I, I put the uh i asked for questions uh over a week ago so uh these ones uh, still stand firm so uh here we go uh, right no particular order these so uh there's no kind of uh narrative to these it's just as they come richard palmer do you think 
think the pressure of having to get results after lockdown would galvanise the squad to perform better next term? Yes. Yes, the defence anyway. Yeah, and a bit of just intensity. Yeah, they realise that it feels better to win and not get beat and uh, get beat cheaply, I think. And they've got that kind of plan B mentality a little bit now, which is good. And the fact that they've they've kind of been through something uh, helps yeah. galvanise yeah, yeah, yeah. you uh, 100%. Uh, Thomas William Linton says, what do you think the bigger achievement is? The 10-game winning run and playoff win last season, or the four-game unbeaten run against all odds and staying up on the final day of this season? Well, I'm going 100% for the 10-game winning run because we really felt the season was over at that point and obviously from that was born what we've gone through and and it put us ahead of a year ahead of schedule as Persilo likes to say I think with the relegation battle my my heart was saying we're not going down and that kind of carried on until the end didn't it It wasn't like we didn't feel like we're 100% down because you know you can't give up on your team but we'd given up on the team like the season before well, I, I certainly had. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd definitely written the season. I, I agree with you. I think we'd, you know, after that, it was, it was West Brom, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think obviously it was a shocking st- performance. It was, it was awful. List, list, listless performance. Awful. And even the Stoke game, really, where we went there and drew. And the, while, while we played well, nobody expected anything. Even when we beat Derby 4 0, everyone was like, oh, yeah, great. Two little, two eight. Nice one. Yeah. It wasn't until we beat Blues and everyone was like, oh, hang on a minute. We've had two weekends here where the results have started to go our way and we've won. And we're playing well. Yeah. I mean, not, you know, to, to come from seven points adrift at one point to get out of trouble was great. But actually, I always I always thought we could. And, I, and I'd said, you know, firmly. firmly believe. But I always said, if we t- if we could take it to the last day, still in it, we'd be all right. And as it was proved, happened. Yeah. Phil, quickly. I'm going against you. I'm going with the, the four game on beaten run because it was a, a higher quality opposition with a worst team we had our team in the championship was head and shoulders above 90 percent of other teams so we should have been fair argument that's a fair argument you should have been going on runs like that millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
there's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, Rich Clark says, what does the relaxation of FFP actually mean for Villa and teams generally? As I understand it, reading between the lines, it's designed to allow owners to subsidise for loss of income due to COVID, not spend as much as they fancy. Uh, That's exactly what it is. Uh, And with all the cuts in revenue streams, I mean, primarily due to fans not going, and uh, let's say a drop of uh, sponsorship and size of sponsorship because you've got no footfall around your ground either you won't find many clubs spending stupidly uh there's there's going to be uh i mean you know count how many transfers you've seen so far and the window's been open a few weeks it's uh that's what ffp is completely you know the relaxation of it is completely about anything to add um no not really to be honest mate no i'm sure perslow will find a way to, to squeeze the last penny out of it so i'm not worried about it that's why I was a bit surprised when uh, Chris said on the last podcast he wouldn't be surprised if Phyllis spent over hundred million. I can see them doing it this window, but then I think what this the FFP does is it means you can spread it out over the next potentially if you if you would you know stay up again you can spread it out over the four windows, can't you? That just means you, know, you can offset the numbers slightly over next season as well, which I think you might see a few teams do that. It looks like that's what Chelsea are going to do in the big teams. They'll they'll go in big and then they'll they won't have a massive January window, for example. Jordan Rees says, what do you think is a realistic target finish for us this season? Also thoughts on who will be our standout player next season from the current squad. I mean, realistic, it could be anything. It depends what we get in. And yeah, it uh, could be anything. What our attitude is when we uh, when we start, because if we carry on how we finished and have that kind of resolve that we show and handle the uh, you know the lockdown behind closed door scenario as well, then get a bit of momentum and uh, you know it can be a totally different team. And you know the first season back can all, all always be like a relegation transitional period, and then you can jump on in the next season in dramatic style. So. I think you know there's there's a wide wide spectrum of where we can finish in terms of standout player of the current squad. I think Louise potentially will carry on and uh, we'll see him over a full season as he uh, and he's still very young as he develops. I think that's the the uh, scenario there. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It could, I'd, I'd like to think we can be near the top of the bottom half. I think if you were to if you were to, if you were to break this if you were to break the top ten, I think you'd consider that a very good progress yeah i wouldn't put a tail on a donkey at this stage i think there's a wide wide spectrum from european places even to and there's, uh, and there's so many teams that are going to be transition and there's and to be honest we've said it in the last podcast you look at the back bottom half of the table I and mean, it's garbage yeah it always has included been. that's the thing uh, phil any uh pessimism to share no i'm i'm ho- hoping for in and, in and around 10th at least oh Wow. Well, in and around tenth can be anything from tenth to fourteenth. So, <laughs> <laughs> which would which would ultimately be progress, though, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. it's, it's the next progress step and up. consolidation are the, probably the two words for me. Gary Horgan says, "Do we just cut our losses on Samatra and Sal? I just don't see him cutting it next season in the Prem, and would rather cut our losses now and sign two solid strikers, one with Premier League experience, hopefully one with potential who can drift out wide. It will be 2021 before Wes is Premier League fit, I reckon. Davis possible loan in January once Wes is back up to speed. Um, I think they're, they're not, they're not going to throw Samatra under a bus at this stage because 
because that would be a dramatic failure. I mean, they'd be pretty cutthroat not to give him a chance. If they felt in the first place that he could do a job, then it would be a dramatic turnaround, I think, just to give up on, what was it, 10 million or so? Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, you saw his, I think when we saw his diving header in the cup final, we thought, oh, okay, this is a guy who can give him service, he'll score goals. And the reality is he hasn't had much service. He's not been particularly wasteful in front of goal, I wouldn't have said. No. Um, he, just, he just hasn't been getting any service. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now. You know, he's another player who's had to settle in like, so many you know he might he might find himself down the pecking order a place but I think that might apply to a few people especially in the forward positions so now I'd stay put it, it would be rubbish business to try and get rid of him now yeah and Gary we, we would probably get two strikers in anyway with him around because as you said Wes is uh, not looking to be back uh, anytime soon and one thing we don't have is a, uh, a depth of strikers to call no. upon Eleanor Peters says where can we get a 20 goals a season striker from and how much if the club knew that they'd have had him in already yeah, that's what I mean. That's what everybody wants. How many did the top score in the league this year? It was twenty three, wasn't it? So it's it's yeah. not it's not as easy as it once was. It's not like every team have a twenty goals a season striker anymore. And when we were when we were in the championship, we made a habit of just buying everybody's striker in the championship that had scored over twenty goals a season, and that just didn't work out for us. Uh, I mean, that's exactly why uh, they bought Codger because he scored nineteen for uh, Bristol City. They didn't seem to put two and two together and realised that him scoring that 19 goals still didn't really lift Bristol City very far above the relegation zone. And of course, when he did it for Villa, we were a middling table team because uh, you sacrificed a lot in terms of the team when Codger was there. Yeah. And then Ross McCormack, they principally bought him because they thought, well, that's we're just buying 20 goals a season there. Guaranteed. Yeah, we're buying promotion. And what they didn't realise there, that you actually had to uh, play a way to accommodate Ross McCormack. And actually like think, keeping him away from the pub. Think about, hmm. no, but, you know, seriously, actually how to play him. Yeah, yeah, make it with work. Him. You can't just like, right, you're playing up top. Right, there we go, 20 goals a season, guaranteed, nice one. Just doesn't work like that. So it was a bit naive uh, in that respect. And obviously he had some issues off the pitch as well. So how much, uh, I don't know, because like, you know, you look at Benteke, that was probably one of our best pieces of business for a very, very, very long time. And, uh, you know, what was he, six million or something? Yeah, it's about six, seven million, I think. So there's no, there's no... Uh, there's no blueprint. Yeah, there's no f- magic figure, really, that you have to spend over X amount to get a, such a goal return because look at Aston Villa's two record transfers both strikers both minimal goal goal returned I mean Bent scored some important ones to keep us up but in terms of tally not not that much I mean I mean how many times did I say on the pod through the season that you know you look at some of the the forward talent that was brought into the league last year I'm thinking Haller at West Ham Richarlison Joe Linton Wesley big money signings all of them flopped yeah right let's burn through these uh Jack Shipton says perhaps a bit sadistic but I would be interested in hearing the thoughts of gazing into to the crystal ball on what relegation would have entailed. Perslo gone, backroom in disarray, or do we think the owners would ensure a steady hand on the tiller? I'm not even bothered going to entertain that question because uh, it would just have been a dark cloud, put it that way. And uh, I think you may have seen Smith go. You would have seen uh, a lot of uh, egg on the face, shall we say. Yeah, it would have been humbling to say the least. Yeah, and then suddenly going from one year ahead of schedule, you would have been two years 
behind schedule because you would have hoped to have got promoted this season. So this season about to start, we would have been in the Premier League and now we would be in a position where we'd be one division back and uh, you know, you'd know you'd have to play out another, another season to potentially get back in the Premier League. But there was no guarantees it would bounce straight back. You'd have seen players leave. I mean, it would have been, as a supporter, it would have been pretty distressing, I think, to know that you know the whole Grealish thing was a complete waste of time. To see, you know, Ming's fuck off as well. McGinn, you know, what a waste of time that was, you know, after getting a player for 2.5 million that the first step is he helps get you promoted, but then you get relegated anyway. And, you know, people would have been revisionist. I mean, Grealish would have, he would have got a bit of a backlash, I think. McGinn would have got a bit of a backlash. Ming certainly, uh, I think because we stayed up and he was reasonable in the restart, people got back on side because he was getting a bit of flack for his like mistake every game kind of uh, narrative. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you don't want to go there. We just kept, you know, we, we are. Why, why even ask that? <laughs> Akin Fenwa would have been playing against you at Villa Park. That's all you need to say. Uh, Phil Shaw asking questions to himself here. Considering I am the opposite of Bud and always wrong in my predictions, etc. What's the worst judgment you could have regarding Villa this season or the season just gone, shall we say? Well, I'll just say that you can listen back. I thought Drinkwater might be uh, a nice bog standard midfielder that would have done a job. <laughs> I think I, I may have been uh, a bit more, but but then again, most people are bullish at the start of the season. And I was thinking we would uh, finish a few more places higher than we did. But that January, that, I mean, that game against Burnley, where in the early stages of that game, I mean, that goal, the Grealish goal and the build up to it, you thought, right, here we go. Happy days. It's all starting to click into place here. And then that double whammy of injuries kind of put the kibosh on uh, that early optimism. Because I think if we, Wesley looked like he was getting somewhere. And uh, and that would have been in you know an integral part of how we could improve. You'd have probably got into double figures. Yeah, and I think we would have probably been there or thereabouts where I expected us to finish. So uh, you know that was my only uh, worst judgment was uh, we finished lower, but that was only because we got key injuries. Yeah, my sort of bigger one was I thought once um, Mings got his England call up I thought he'd actually grow in confidence and actually he started and admitted himself quite recently on the BBC that he he started to play within himself a little bit more and that's when the mistakes started becoming a bit more regular yeah because you got that you're under the under the microscope uh, and stuff microscope and magnifying glass aren't you and the pressure's uh yeah. More intense. Uh, right, Paul Lee says, how do you feel whenever fans go in on Grealish for diving and not tracking back? Basically, being a show pony footballer, it reminds me of how Ashley Young was slagged off by fans of other clubs when he was doing the business for us. I don't I don't care, really. I, I think if he's, if he's putting their noses out of joint, that means he's doing something right, really. I mean, the only thing in terms of Jack, not necessarily diving, but I don't want to see Jack getting leathered taking the ball off his own centre-backs. If he's getting fouled, I want to see it in the final third or ideally in the penalty area, which we didn't... Did he even... I don't think he got a penalty all season, did he, this year? No, and that that is... I mean, that's another bugbear if you want me to go into it. That was a, that was a big... <laughs> that's always a big sign, isn't it? When you look at how many penalties, say, someone like United had this year yeah, and, and even Villa the previous season, you know, the amount of goals that Tammy scored, they were all bloody penalties. 
because we were putting men in the penalty area, and most of the time it was Jack getting fouled. When you've got a when your manager comes out and says, "I've been I've been telling Jack to get in the box more and make runs," and this goes back to the championship when he scored that goal against the Blues, the header on the back stick, and you think, "Hallelujah, finally!" But then you also think, "Why does the manager have to tell him to get into those positions and make those runs?" Because you always see him as an attacking midfielder. But then you, when you, I remember hearing an interview, and and when they asked him what his best position was, he said, "Is it like a number eight? So he fancies himself as that central midfielder I suppose pulling the strings maybe a bit Gordon Cowans-esque but I think as we've seen uh, it's almost like he's he's in denial he, I mean once he gets in the box you know he's he's causing mayhem and as you said if he's getting hacked why isn't he we, why aren't we winning all these penalties because it's not he's not getting hacked in the box yeah useful fouls especially when you saw the amount of times where we'd get good set pieces in the final third especially after restart and the amount of times Horahan delivered a good ball and we'd score from it you think that's where you want to see your players. In terms of jack diving, it's whatever, really. I mean, this is a good thing. Grealish took a good step this season in terms of his end product and you know and scoring. Yeah, but I think there's another level that he can, he can get at uh, in terms of uh, you know more and, goals and more and assists. That's why, we, that's why we're critical of him because yeah. we can see there is definitely another level. Yeah, I'm not criticizing the player per se. I'm criticizing the hype version of him, and that's not him doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's like the rest of the the bloody Twitterverse and you know the world. And the danger is if the player starts to believe in that his own hype and doesn't uh, filter that out and actually you know regard himself as a player and how how he does improve because there's clear ways that he improves and some of it is natural. And you know, let's not forget he's lost three years in the Premier League because of you know Villa being in the Championship. Yeah, but in another respect, that's kind of an advantage because I think he matured and stepped up more. I mean, I don't think you'd have been captain of Villa if we were just still in the Premier League because we would have been buying the caliber of player to be a, a captain, so to speak. Yeah, so it's you know swings and roundabouts in terms of that three years of uh, championship experience. But I think that's why I want him to stay for the next season because I think that's where we start to see what he really brings to the table as a player, and that's why we need to get players around him as well. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not you know any criticism of Grealish. It's you know it's it's intended to be constructive. You want to see him scoring twenty goals and getting ten assists. Exactly. Yeah, you want to see him being like yeah. the players he you know, he aspires to be. I mean, he, he loves De Bruyne. You look at De Bruyne's end product. You look at people like Edin Hazard when he was at Chelsea. That's who he aspires to be like. And it's like brilliant. Go and be like them. Victoria Jane says. Vicky says. If 2020 was a player, who would it be? When I first read the question, I thought you meant 2020 Mad Dogs, who are the drink, the fortified wine. So I was starting to think, "Mm." but I think uh, I think the answer to for me is quite easy. It would be Trezeguet. Yep, I'd agree. In a nutshell, in a villa in a villa villa context, context, anyway. I would say uh, Louise, actually. Yeah, similar to directory. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't have to explain why. You can work that one out yourselves. Scott Brickle says, I'm interested to hear if any of the regular suspects on the pod would bring in any players from the relegated sides. If so, who and why? Well, we've kind of gone through uh, the ones that have been attached. I, I always, the first thing I think about when somebody says, right, who who got relegated? Who's their best players? It's it, I think of 
first word that comes to mind is vultures. And the second two names that come to mind, I've already mentioned, is McCann and Sorensen. Because yeah. we, we did that double whammy, vulture whammy on uh, Sunderland when they got relegated uh, way back then. So I think it's one of those where if you can avoid it, you do, unless there's a real banker there. It's, you know what I mean? It's like damaged goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's, you've got players like uh, is it Pereira and Decore at Watford who aren't bad players and they're good. You know, there's that, obviously, uh, the Saar isn't there at Watford who's quite highly rated, but I think he the price tag on him is very high and I wouldn't go near him for that kind of money. I was always a fan of Delafeu, but I think he's too inconsistent. I think he's a luxury player. Yeah, yeah and we and we've got a few of them already. I I think he's a if you he's the kind of player if he was available on a free, I'd be like fair enough, put him in the squad. But I don't I don't think we'd go near them. The the Bournemouth keeper's pretty good goalkeeper, but debatable. He got plenty of practice. That's why he's a good keeper. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he improved last season. But yeah, I think you if you're buying a keeper, you need a new number one, as I discussed previously. Mike Pearson asks many a question uh, quickly. North Stand, is the time now? With lower attendance next season being mandatory, would you start the renovations now? Not You're not really firmly settled in the Premier League yet, I think, uh, the way we s- scrape through. No. Also, in terms of funding, you're, look, you're looking now at a picture where you are, your revenue streams have been compromised. So from a business point of view, it doesn't make any sense. Obviously makes sense from the fact there's no fans there. So what a, you know, what a great time to start the renovation. You can, you can carry on building while the game's on uh, in front of you as yeah. well. So you literally lose no time. But uh, from my conversations with Perslow, and this question keeps getting brought up, but this, this is a no non-starter for a good few seasons. No. no. Uh, Mike Pearson, again, uh, he asks, is the Leeds game next season our biggest rivalry game, even above Wolves and the Baggies fixtures? No. 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 It's United. Yeah, for me, it's uh, Man United or Liverpool. Uh, Leeds is just a little bit of extra colour. It's, it's, it's a bit a- of niggle. The only way that becomes a really big game is if you're both down there come the end of the season it becomes a yeah. six pointer but it's not they despise us i i don't give a shit it's just like i want to beat leeds but i want to beat everyone else as well but I, I don't think they really despise us that is just the twitter leeds twitter arty. yeah it's just little gobshites isn't it every uh club's got a twitter arty. uh i mean you know after they beat us in the, that league game at villa park you know i was on the train talking to some of their fans and you know it's that kind of big club mutual respect type thing so you both sets of fans would want each other in the Premier League, you know, if if the other yeah. one was in the Premier League. And, you know, there is that niggle from what happened in the Championship. Uh, but the way that was going to be settled, and we were waiting for them at Wembley, but they didn't turn up. That was going to be the playoff final. Yeah, they fucked it, didn't they? That would have been a class, that would have been a battle. And I was kind of disappointed. You know, people was, you know, saying to me, uh, um, um, you know, mom's, my old man said, saying, yeah, but Derby's the easier game, you know. And I said, yeah, but, you know, the bigger prize beating Leeds at Wembley's uh, in this situation where they're a bit right up about it's that perfect goal. it's this this is why i'm going to wembley i want the biggest fucking occasion i can get i want the most needle and i you know i want the stakes to be higher and i want it to be harder because i was quite comfortable would beat derby yep i mean it's, it's, in terms of leads i'm actually quite happy they are back in the premier league i think it, the league has missed a bit of a pantomime villain and i think the the niggle that they'll bring to the Manchester teams and teams like Liverpool especially and the fact that Sheffield United are in the league I think it's a good thing for Yorkshire and yeah um, no completely I mean they they hate United so that's uh, always welcome <laughs> yeah 
but no, it's it's uh, it's a step up, uh, and you know, even the baggies. It's better to have the baggies than Bournemouth. I, I, I would. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I would say and Leeds. Uh, First you know, time in a hell of a long time, isn't it? It's got to be at least a decade since the West Midlands has had three. Yeah, three Premier League sides in the league again. And when I was a wee lad, uh, I think these were the three teams that were in it. I don't know. What, I think I think the Blues were there as well. There was four. So, but you need it. You need if Villa are in the top league, you need your local fucking rivals to be there as well because that's one part of this you know game of football that we like. Yep. Uh, another question from MP: Is Lang really an upgrade to Suso based on off past gigs? Uh, Jury's well, out. We spoke about this and why we're not getting too excited because it's a completely different canvas for Lang. So uh, obviously the uh, the powers that be at Villa have faith in him that he can transition and he can be part of a brave new world and approach. So we'll see what happens. So it's different, I think, is what I would uh, put out there. But yeah, it's not like, oh, this is so much better. But, you know, as, I, you know, I was tongue-in-cheekly uh, saying in the last podcast every time a football director stroke sporting director comes in you know the narrative from media and fans and club is oh finally we have direction we've never had this before this is a new you know whole new world a new wave no it's not it's just somebody tweaking what's happening and it's somebody with a different uh, black book of contacts really and that's about it but he has quite a methodical approach so we'll see if it works in, in you know in practice in this context and Another question from MP. Do you think Smith should have been given the manager's job and oversee all playing staff decisions? No, because this is no. the way he does. He's never had that, really. I think maybe Walsall was the last time. It's a very dated way of working, that is now. Look what happened when we did it under O'Neill. Yeah. Pissed are, a load of money up the wall. It's not mm-hmm. the modern way. We are talking about delegation here and the idea of scouting team is, you know, we're long gone from even, you know, Sam Allardyce had a sports science department scouting recruitment and, you know, he was looking at ways to uh, maximize and, you know, shed the load as well. And it's a lazy thing. Like when there's a player that's not so good, it's, oh, we talked about it in the in one one one. I think Dan was saying this: the football director becomes the scapegoat. Oh, he, you know, these are his players. You know, it's same with the Sherwood. Oh, this is what you know. This, these are what Sherwood bought. You know, these are what the uh, you know Elmstead bought. Dean Smith signs off on these players. They fucking scout these players. He gives them a, the type of player he wants. They give him a list. He's, he'll say yes, yes, no, yes, no. Then he'll go with them. You know, he went with Suso. They were in Egypt watching uh, Trezeguet in the African Nations. He, you know, he's not like knock on the door, Smith's in his office speaking to his you know, wife or something, and Suso goes, oh, I've got you a gift. You know, here's, uh, here's Trezeguet. Egyptian, <laughs> Egyptian winger. Pretty good. Was doing all right in Turkey. Oh, thanks. He's so nice one, son. We'll and see. Thanks for, and thanks for those social media numbers as well. That's just what we need. <laughs> yeah. Also, he's going to add a few thousand on social media. Oh, that's great. I'll have a look at him on the training pitch and, and tomorrow. That's not how it works. As I said, he gives what he wants. They source it. They give him options. And then he goes off and watches them. He's very much intrinsically involved. If he said, no, nah, Trezeguet looks like a pile of shit, then he, they don't buy him. They're not force feeding him players. 
And this is it's a lazy thing that, you know, fans talk about on social media. They'll portion at blame. And uh, if they've got a favorite, you know, if they've got a favorite manager, they'll try to uh, dissolve him of the blame of buying this player and saying, well, he should, you know, he should be uh, given the autonomous, you know, job of choosing the players where he's very much intrinsic in the process. Do you think it's a load of bull, this? Uh... Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, there, there's collective responsibility. I mean, if there's a bad signing, it reflects badly on the, the three of them that were making the, the signing choices last year not on one of them yeah. because you, you've seen Suso's interview when he went out it was like well drink water was nothing to do with me that was Perslow and Smith yeah of course you're going to say that yeah it's probably right though <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't see Suso having heard of drink water <laughs> exactly that's what I was thinking it was like yeah well yeah well, if you think he's alright yeah whatever I don't know uh, Dean Gregory says how likely are we to keep hold of Louise what exactly is the buyout clause in his contract and how does it work is it over two years and one year's yeah, obviously last? Yeah. I think it broke today. It was um, twenty-five million, and City get a one million bonus because we stayed in the league. Yeah, exactly. You you beat me to it. Ah. Yeah, Vidal will get another year out of him, and then I think they'll definitely a, get another year. Question, and then it just depends on where he's at in his development. Yeah, and uh, if he continues his development from what we saw in the restart period, then I think City may be tempted. We we shall yeah. see. You think if he had a season next year like how he ended the post-lockdown period, if you're getting 38 games of that and you can buy a player of that quality for $25 million in, in you know, bearing in mind the crazy numbers that have been thrown around in the Premier League, that's an absolute snip. Yeah, so we could see... Uh, Alex Ferguson returning to football manage- management with Manchester United and him buying Grealish next season yeah. and then Louise going to Manchester City so we'll cross that bridge when we get to it Sharon Patel says who wants to go clubbing with Rayner Pepe Rayner I'm, I'm, I'm down with the trip to Ibiza if you're judging that question on that video I think it's funny as a uh uh, ha, ha, I'm in the change room or I'm watching this uh, or, you know on social media but I think to go out on a whole night with him. I think it gets annoying after a couple of hours. I don't yeah. know, is, that, <laughs> is that just me or uh, I'd like to, you know, I'd prefer probably go to dinner with him or something. Cause I think, you know, he's quite a, a bright chap. Yeah, we know a good Spanish place. When you get some good tapas, and as I said, you go to Ibiza for the night. But I think if we're singing La, 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 La Bamba all night, it's like some of the players were there going, yeah, all right, dad. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like that in the end. It was like, shut up, mate. <laughs> But still, it was uh, that's I, I, it was a great uh, success story for him. I like him because it turns it into uh, that was a worthwhile little uh, adventure on my career. It's a rememberable thing, and you know he's yeah. obviously done some big things. A brief little dalliance in Birmingham, yeah, which you remember, you know, amongst all those all the shit that he won. Yeah, Phil Hurt says, "Do you think Trezeguet now deserves more respect?" I think you should have just ended the question there but i'll continue and could be a prospect next year easy to be the butt of jokes but arguably that his goals kept us up and for every category of errors he scored a well-taken goal against arsenal scored more than al ghazi by the end of the season i think trezeguet he's developing something which is is useful i think to keep him as part of uh, let's say a squad and that's a bit of a character and having that characteristic of being able to pop up when we are on our knees in our in our time of need i mean the first clue was in that semi-final second leg at villa park against leicester where you know i was thinking can we beat leicester on penalties 
are they going to fuck us in extra time? And then out of nowhere, he just swooped in. And, he, and he's got this habit of just swooping in. He just arrives, doesn't he? When he gets a chance where you see the ball go to him and you think, oh, come on, come on. And, and or he, you know, he's got a shot and he's got like, he's 20 yards out. And he said, and you think, pull the trigger you 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 know he's not going to do it but when you don't see him when he comes in on the blind side and just swoops in like a savior that's what he brings to the party (laughs) he's all instinct isn't he i think (laughs) if he's like you know beating his man and he's set himself up for the shot you just know it's not going to do anything it's going to be like tamely struck it's like almost like a pass back or something if you see his Instagram, he, he wants to stay because he hasn't taken that Villa training top off in about two no, weeks. No, he hasn't, He loves it. <laughs> I, I like him as a character, and I want him in uh, in the squad because you say his goals arguably kept us up. Uh, they did. They did, yeah. I mean, if Grealish had scored those uh, that amount of goals, then you know another another level of hype as you know the Messiah that kept us up. But uh, yeah, yeah. We all know that uh, it was the hitman Trezeguet that uh, did it. He puts himself into positions to to score goals, and you can't argue with that. You know, are there bits of his game he has to improve on? Well, yeah, but I think he'll know that, and I think he'll he'll feel like quite a few of them that he's he's settling into the area, settled into the club, and I'd imagine his English is is improving, and his confidence, Um, his confidence is getting better, yeah, and his confidence from the fact that he's actually uh, contributed, you know, big time. Will only make him more comfortable. Yeah. Next I mean, season. I think it's um, it's a shame for him actually that you know his, his two goals against Palace, the huge goal against Arsenal, weren't with a crowd in the ground. Yeah, because I think the lift that would have come from the crowd would have made him feel like the main man, and also uh, it would have given the crowd more of a let's say a more to use uh, Phil's word more respect instantly because yes. you would yeah. have been, you'd have, have actually been part of your experience then. Yeah, well, that, that Arsenal goal and the, the you know the, the the result would have been one of the you know the iconic moments of the season. The whole Holt would have been calling his name, sing, yeah. you know, celebrating his name. So it'd have been a complete. This is you know this is one of the uh, the drawbacks of the kind of football that we're watching at the moment in terms of the crowd. Yeah. Anyway, let's kick on. Uh, last couple of ones. Another one from Phil. If we start the season poorly and are near the relegation by October November, do you think the board will stick with Smith this time, or will that be it for him? We're never going to see another relegation zone in your lifetime, Phil. So I don't know what you're talking about. Just, just make it clear this isn't me. Virginia, when you say Phil, it's not me this time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm not referring to this <laughs> yeah. Phil. I'm, I'm talking to the the Mister Hood. But uh, I think the Shakespeare thing has a that was to kind of give the owners uh, a bit of confidence that we had. Uh, we were going to improve the let's say the management team because there is an argument that if. I say uh, an established Premier League boss came along, and you know we we spoke about this in the context of players. There's no time for sentiment anymore, so you could do what uh, Southampton did to uh, Nigel uh, Watkins, or what Spurs did to Tim Sherwood. And even though they've like done good jobs, and in Watkins' uh, very good job, they they still dis- decided that they would upgrade. So I think Shakespeare coming in, it's almost like getting it's it's like upgrading your management team. I mean, it's, and you know, as default, your you know your head guy is better now and stronger because he's got a you know a wiser, more experienced at this level anyway uh, manager by his side. Yeah, I mean, from the from what we've seen of the uh, the owners' statement, their general stance and strategy would appear to be well we're not thinking about being in trouble the expectation is to move on 
and yeah. up um and the and the strategy be, you know towards that is well what do we have to do to not be in that position again and personally you know is a big uh smith yeah backer so what they in shakespeare they're actually giving him a tool to help him to make him better yeah absolutely it's it's, it's the club almost like how you know an hr department would if they had a you know like a young a young owner for example would want to bring in an older experienced ceo to help them improve and i think that's what shakespeare will do with with smith and o'kelly and probably with john terry as well if he's still there and and and, you know, and the and the framework within the club they they realized they dodged a massive bullet you know and then post west ham as soon as the whistle went they'll have known full well that right we've really got away with one there now we need to make sure that that doesn't happen again in the same way that when they win the playoff final, the, the mindset would have been right. We need to make sure that we're not in this position again either. Yeah, what I will say though, um, there is an interesting dynamic now that what normally happens uh, across a fan base is uh, if the manager, let's say, is going through a sticky spell, it's always social media that reacts first, and uh, you know you start getting yeah your people who want them out. But when you're going to games, there's a lot more patience. Uh, yes. Yep. And so there's like two tier there's a disparity between what you're seeing on social media, you know, with these pricks who are just, you know, getting swept up by whoever is baiting them, whether it's the local press or whatever. And uh, it's a lot more knee jerky, while the more, let's say, sober heads, although, you know, I use that term uh, ironically almost, uh, are the people who are the sober heads are the ones that have had 10 pints and they're at the game. <laughs> but they normally give the manager uh, a longer time. But it's when they turn that you know there's a problem and you're not going to get that. As Phil said, if Smith is uh, struggling, you know, let's say November, and it continues for, you know, we're in the relegation zone, let's say, or you know, around it for a, a spell of two months, then it's going to get fever pitch, and you're not going to get that kind of rational uh, litmus test. Personally, he's not going to be able to sit at Villa Park and hear what the the home crowd really think of the situation because with Dean Smith and you know the Villa fan. DNA, you will have a home crowd that kind of gets behind him a bit more and that will, you know, give him more time and they'll have a bit more empathy with him. And that will go because if there's no crowd there, you you'll just be the uh, the keyboard warriors. So that I mean that's something to look out for. Hopefully we don't get into that situation, but uh, it's certainly uh, it's a different context in terms of a manager kind of keeping his job. Uh, last question, Dale Allen asks what does smith need to do to drop the label of being a championship level manager i think it's really unfair fans of the club give him that label as a stick to beat him with well not get relegated to the championship that would be a start and win more games really simple and stop shopping in the championship (laughs) yeah that'd help Stay away from those Brentford players, and uh, that's the first baby steps to being a Premier League manager. Learn. That's the big thing. Learn. Evolve and learn. Right. Anyway, let's let's those questions answered. This is just a bit of a bonus uh, podcast. Please uh, do, if you want uh, more podcasts, and more importantly, to be a member of our 24-7 match club do uh sign up to be a my old man said patron go to my com and click on the patron link you can now pay in the currency of uh, where you live uh, as long as you live in the uk somewhere in europe and uh america us dollars so uh there's no more bank charges uh, conversion fees or, or whatever i just have to uh, deal with them anything to add gentlemen before we uh, disappear no just and enjoy this sort of close season because we weren't expecting it a few weeks ago why not well i wasn't you can call me pessimistic again i i was fearing the worst in what way 
relegation. Yeah, but it'd still be closed season. No, we weren't expecting a a nice close season where we're where we're sh- where we're shopping in I don't know we're shopping in John Lewis instead of shopping in Morrison's. Well, we're not shopping. We're not shopping John Lewis in uh, Birmingham, are we? Yeah, that down. got closed down. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I, I appreciate the analogy, though. Yeah. Right. Uh, please do uh, subscribe if you listen on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast app that you use. Uh, there will there should there be a few shows popping up here and there, so uh, it's best to subscribe. So then you get the alerts and notifications when they do materialize and be the first to listen to it. Right. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Bye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.